obviously we've had litigation that is steering things. We've had an evolution in uh, uh, digital assets. That's an enormous topic of conversation. Um, and the digital side is changing the investment world operationally, as well as from an investment standpoint. Specialist, and this is the 401k Specialist Podcast. Anyone who knows Pete Swisher knows he's the go-to resource for anything fiduciary and pool plan related. His pension expertise and industry tenure make the self-proclaimed pension geek highly sought after, especially with all that's happening on the regulatory front. He recently announced a partnership with top ERISA attorney Jason Roberts of Pension Resource Institute. The new venture, Group Plan Systems, or GPS, helps plan sponsors and advisors bridge a major fiduciary gap that's too often overlooked. Swisher explains what that is right after these messages. Is retirement planning an art? Well, I think so. I help my clients reach their retirement goals. Whether those goals are far away or right around the corner, I help them get there. That's an art. And with T. Rowe Price's full suite of target date solutions, you can call me a Rembrandt of retirement. Retirement meet your match. Visit trowprice.com slash target date. Principal value of target date strategies is not guaranteed at any time, including at or after the planned retirement date assumed to be age 65. T. Rowe Price Investment Services, Inc. Pete, you're one of those rare people that are analytical and personable, a subject matter expertise and a sales guy. Are you right and left-brained? And if so, how has it helped in your career? <laughs> you know, I don't, uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, probably I would I would reframe that and say left brain, right brain. I'm I'm part salesman, part um, technical geek. Proudly so. When my kids have asked me what I do, I say I'm a pension geek or a pension consultant. And um, the but being a um, knowing what I'm doing was really important to me. So when early in my career, I wanted to know how do I do this, and I said there's got to be a book, and I looked for a book, and I couldn't find a book. So I started looking at, well, what are the laws? What are the regulations? Reading the articles that seem to make some sense and started assembling this knowledge base. And, and you know, before long, it was, it was, you know, I actually did know something and that led to writing a textbook. But all this, all the time that I'm acquiring information and trying to understand how it fits into my, my work and my life, <clears throat> um, I'm uh, selling. I'm a salesman. You know, so I'm out uh, investments at the time were, were the focus. So being an investment fiduciary was something that I wanted to be really, really good at and and understand what the rules were. And to put that in perspective, remember that 20 years ago, when I first started down this path, um, I was running into advisors whose idea of being a great fiduciary, although they would never use that word, was a B-share ro- rotation program. So wow. there would be, you know, B-share mutual funds. We sell you this fund today and we do a monitoring process. We replace a fund. We get a commission. There's a trail. Sometimes you have to pay a surrender charge. That's the way it is. Um, I'm running into that. I'm running into brokers who are on the one in 25 program, 1% up front, 25 basis points trail. Um, you know, and, 331 and, and three, uh, 328, you once said, right? <laughs> that's right. I had an advisor who who cited those uh, those numbers to me. So, you know, there there wasn't a an infrastructure for being a great fidu- fiduciary for investment purposes 20 years ago. And that's what I wanted to learn. So that's what brought me down the path. And, and you know, probably the unusual part, the right brain, left brain part is just that I was selling too. I was a 
first a salesperson and a sales manager and had some success, um, but did it as a consultant and wanted to be really good at it. And that's part of the reason for your success because you're so technical and actually know what you're talking about. And when I don't know what I'm talking about, I sound like I do. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, you've been at, uh, you know, with fiduciary since the beginning of the movement, pretty much. Um, can you just maybe draw the evolutionary line from where we were to where we are now? Yeah. So I, um, you know, the world is uh, the world of being an investment advisor, whether to qualified plans or wealth management, it's become a fiduciary world and everybody's kind of, not everybody, but, um, you know, a large segment of our, our industry has embraced this concept of uh, we're a fiduciary. Um, there's an ethos that goes with that. We're going to embrace that. We're going to have investment policy. We're going to have process and we're going to replace funds. We're going to put the client first. And, and so this has become the normal way of doing business. And it really wasn't the normal way. And, and we kind of take that for granted. So it's one thing to talk about those things, but I think it's important to recognize this is a big change. This is a major transition that occurred in our industry, a real a sea change. And there were regulatory and statutory changes that came with it. So, you know, there was a time when we were talking about 408B2 and fee disclosure, and it was a really big deal. And now that's more than a decade behind us. And where we were talking about, you know, participant disclosures and so on. So we're well beyond that transitional phase. And um, with sort of everybody now in the qualified plan world embracing that, um, you know, that's become the norm. And, um, and now we're examining really um, fine distinctions on the investment side. Like if you're a big investment firm, you worry about things like if I change a fund and I have a thousand clients, if I change a fund for one client, I have to change it for the other client too, probably. But then who goes first? And how do I manage that across an entire book of business? So, so we're really examining fiduciary process and details um, much more than we, we did 20 years ago. And that's just because we're getting better and better at it. And I think that that's what's happened on the investment side, but that's what needs to happen on the operational side. It hasn't happened yet on the operational side, on the administrative side, but that's, that's where it's, and it's going to, that's going to be the next phase of evolution. So we'll talk about operations in a minute, but can we just jump ahead a little bit to where we're going from a fiduciary investment standpoint in the future? So that's a great question. So I think it's a market question. It's a marketplace question as well as a fiduciary question, but obviously we've had litigation that is steering things. We've had an evolution in, uh, uh, digital assets. That's an enormous topic of conversation. Um, and the digital side is changing the investment world operationally, as well as from an investment standpoint. It's hard for me to imagine a future in which that is not a significant part of what we as fiduciaries need to do. So digital assets, I think, are a significant thing that that everyone's going to need to understand. And it's, it's going to be more than just, do you understand Bitcoin? No, it's going to be do you understand the infrastructure that underpins this stuff and how that affects the investment conversation and how that might be different? Just like you have to understand a mutual fund that, hey, if you do a commodities fund, um, you have to understand that there are derivatives being traded within that fund typically. And, and do you understand what that means for your client and what are the implications? I think um, those sorts of complexities will be important fiduciary considerations for digital assets. Um, and I also think the uh, uh, there is no question that there is a split in the path 
of a couple different directions you can go with institutional money or fiduciary money on the retirement side. And I, I see this as a not a big battle, but a, a big dividing line, and that is um, self-direction. We have a self-directed system in the United States. Is that a good idea? There are some who would say no, you know, and that participants left to their own devices uh, don't do well for themselves. So should it be self-directed? And what's the alternative? Well, the alternative is a very plain vanilla, um, uh, homogeneous set of investments that kind of overload the investment picture. And what's the effect of that on markets? Um, But I think self-direction will continue to exist in the U.S., um, I think technology will make that possible. I think our system will remain unique and that um, we will just get better and better at, at overseeing the investments in a customized world. There is, as you said, interesting stuff going on with regards to MEPS, PEPS, and GOPS, or a group of plans, specifically considering recent legislation. Retirement plan provisions were in, then out. Where do we stand with pool plans, Pete? So there's there's now and there's later, of course. Um and one way to look at it is we had Secure Act 2019. We had the question over groups of plans and uh, what kind of rules might we get there. And then we have the future question of are we going to get a mandate? And I would sort of divide it into those three big questions. So starting with the latter, um, I think that the elephant in the living room is the mandate. So if we, if we ask ourselves what the retirement system is going to look like in five, 10 years, if we were to get a mandate, if the, those provisions make it back into a law that gets passed, which I think most of us view as likely, just like we thought RISA and then the SECURE Act were going to get passed, and they did, I think we'll see a mandate. Well, mandate, you know, if you listen to Brian Graff and others in the industry, is 600,000 plus new employers and plans, and a lot of those being in pooled employer plans or group plans of some, of some stripe. And that seems like a logical outcome, and there's a lot of supporting research there. Um, Ebri had done research on that. So, that's a lot of plans. That's a lot of employers brought into the system under these group programs. Um, and so then we go back to, uh, you know, the uh, group of plans, the kind of the middle question. Um, and well, I, let me let me skip further back to the SECURE Act. You know, we had two kinds of general ways we could proceed with group plans. We had uh, PEPs and we had <clears throat> groups of plans and a, a group of plans was just a, a marketing arrangement that met a couple criteria, same funds, same fiduciaries, same plan year, basically. And so you create this marketing arrangement. Well, you can file a single 5,500. And so the presumption was we're going to get to do one audit that'll look just like a MEP audit. And that turns out probably not to be the case. Proposed regula- regulations from September, um, really kind of uh, drove a nail in that from the Department of Labor <clears throat> and said, no, if you're a, uh, if you, you know, if you're a large plan filer, basically, then you have to do an audit that is separate. And, but what I would say is going to evolve, John, is, uh, is evolving, is people are still embracing the concept of a group of plans. They're still doing um, group programs that are not multiple employer plans, not pooled employer plans. And um, it's just a question of whether they they choose to take advantage of the combined 5,500 from Secure Act Section 202. And I think the answer will be no. There'd be no point in it unless they get audit favorable audit treatment, which it looks like they won't. Um, but I think we're gonna we're gonna have PEPs, we're gonna have association retirement plans, we're gonna have PEO maps, we're gonna have groups of plans, marketing arrangements, 
and 600,000 new participating employers. As you said earlier, when it comes to fiduciary operations, you said there are significant gaps that could get advisors and sponsors into trouble. What do you mean? Well, so uh, again, I go back and I, I look at when I first started examining this and advisors are great at pontificating on uh, what great investment concepts they have and processes. But 10, 20 years ago, um, those weren't really educated fiduciary discussions. And so there were there were major gaps in, in how people were proceeding. There were you know, it was the norm for a plan to not have a um, an investment policy statement. There were folks who said, uh, we're not going to take advantage of 404C. And, you know, there were just technical details that we weren't very good at. And I think that that remains true today. And the, the dominant paradigm really has been operations, complicated detail. That's TPA stuff. And, uh, you know, we, we leave that to the TPA. And advisors... Um, I think are guilty of thinking fiduciary means investments, but it doesn't. It means everything. And operations is at least as big a deal as investments, and it deserves the same rigor as investments do, um, but nobody has, knows how to do it. So the default process is, oh, I hired a TPA, I hired a record keeper, and they do that. So whatever they do is sufficient and from my perspective, that's just like um, hiring a mutual fund company to do your plan. And your investment process is that the mutual fund family sends a, um, a service rep once a quarter to talk about the market. There were a lot of plans who had that process 20 years ago, and everyone agrees that's not okay. I don't think it's any more okay on the ops side. So, so that's the part that needs to change. So you and ERISA attorney Jason Roberts have set out to do something about it. Can you just describe that as well? Yes, we. So Jason and I have known one another a long time, and um, done work together, and and are friends. and And he has seventy some odd clients who are banks, broker dealers, um, registered investment advisors, asking questions like, "How do you do a pooled plan?" I have developed processes um, for how do you govern a pooled plan, for how do you answer the question of being a a fiduciary, an operational fiduciary um, with the same rigor you would apply to the investments. So we came together and created Group Plan Systems, LLC, GPS, to be an independent fiduciary to close that gap. Pete Swisher, that is exactly what we needed. Thanks so much for joining us. I do appreciate it. John, thank you for having me. Is retirement planning an art? Well, I think so. I help my clients reach their retirement goals. Whether those goals are far away or right around the corner, I help them get there. That's an art. And with T. Rowe Price's full suite of target date solutions, you can call me a Rembrandt of retirement. Retirement meet your match. Visit trowprice.com slash target date. Principal value of target date strategies is not guaranteed at any time, including at or after the planned retirement date assumed to be age 65. T. Rowe Price Investment Services, Inc.